In the 29 or so episodes of this podcast, we've heard songwriters share some pretty crazy journeys to Nashville from wherever they grew up. But this month's guest is the first whose journey not only starts in another country, but also includes several years in Europe and Key West, Florida. Get ready to meet the well-traveled James T. Slater on this month's Write You a Song. I'm Tom Maley. Thanks for having it here. James T. Slater may have more miles on him than any other writer in Nashville, but whereas I need a nap after just coming back from a drive up to Tahoe, James is decades into his career and still has more energy than a room full of sugared-up kindergartners. He's funny, thoughtful, fun, and above all, wildly talented. He scored his first hit when he was 20, a Christmas song that earned him a ride around Atlanta shooting a video with a bunch of NFL cheerleaders, and that's not anywhere close to his best story. In fact, at the end of the episode, still around for a little extra with James about the time a stone-cold rock god unexpectedly paid a visit to his home and why he always asks for pictures now when he meets someone he admires. So kick back and relax for the next 45 minutes or so because James T. Slater and his keyboards are going to take you on his journey on Write You a Song. James T. Slater, thank you for joining us on Write You a Song. Of all of the songwriters that we've had on this podcast, in, like every single one of them literally has an interesting story. Yours might be, it's it's the most diverse for sure, but it might be the most interesting because you have lived so many places and, and you did not grow up steeped in country music. And yet here you are, you've written just some, some massive country songs. So let's start off with a little bit of your background. I believe you're probably the only songwriter in Nashville born in, in Panama. Okay. Okay. So here's the thing. I, okay. I was raised in Panama raised in the tropics, and we're not talking about for all you people out there. We're not talking about Panama city, Florida, the Panama, which is a great spot, by the way, we're talking about the real South. You know, we're talking about go down to Miami, then jump on a plane <laughs> and go two and a half hours South of Miami to Panama, the jungle, just North of Colombia and just South of Costa Rica. That's where I was brought up. I was actually it's weird, Tom, because I was born in Durham, North Carolina, Duke University Hospital. My dad was a psychiatrist, mandolin playing psychiatrist. My mom was British in South America, is, is British in, in Bolivian. So once I was born, my dad didn't really like warm, cold weather. So we went to Miami and ended up moving to Panama in, uh, you know, you know, just and spent 10 years in Panama. That's where I went to high school. That's where I got my first music. I started learning piano down there when I was nine years old. And, uh, I wasn't raised on country music from seven, from eight to 18. I was raised in Panama. We had one radio station called Armed Forces Radio, and it was Led Zeppelin, the Beatles, uh, you know, uh, the Eagles, Elton John, Billy Joel, Santana, a lot of Santana because we're in South America. In fact, the first concert I saw was Carlos Santana at 15 in a soccer stadium in um, Panama City, wow. down in the middle, and, and it was incredible. And later, 20-something years later, after college, I was ended up in Switzerland, living in Switzerland and meeting Santana and already being well-known in Switzerland. I ended up backstage with him and I told him, hey, I saw you when I was 15. You're the reason I'm standing here with you backstage at this concert. So anyway, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. But you are, and as a matter of fact, you have a, a like a, a, a jazz background. You went to, to the University of Miami on like a, a, a music scholarship, but you were like studying jazz and all these yeah. different, you're, you're a super versatile musician. So, so like anybody out there, well, I was in, I was in college, in high school, I was in a band. I was playing all that stuff. I just told you Rolling Stones, everything, you know, a lot of Billy Joel and stuff. But when I came back to the state to 1890, I thought I can't do, 
I can't be, how do you make a living? You know, that, leave that in high school. You know, the high school was my, my band days. Let's, let's be a business major. So I went to East Carolina University for one year and I was very not happy there. I love this. The school was nice, but I was doing business. Then I went to New Orleans to Loyola University where I think I was 19 years old. And I was like, oh man, I miss playing in a band. I got in a band at Loyola. And uh, once I heard this song on the radio, you, I, I can hear the band. Mm-hmm. Oh, Bruce, uh, Bruce Hornsby. Bruce Hornsby. Yeah. That's just the way it is. You know, I heard that on the radio and I thought, I was like, Where, whoever's playing that and whatever piano it is, because I'm a piano guy, a piano man through and through. So I got, I made an audition tape at Loyola University in New Orleans and I sent that to Miami where I heard he went to school. Pat Metheny went there. Um, Will Lee from the Tonight Show band, a lot of killer piano players. I mean, musicians came to the University of Miami. Ben Folds, you know, Ben Folds. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys. And um, I, I made an audition tape. I got into that school. And so that's the reason I spent three years there and I studied jazz, boogie woogie, you know, everything. I got in a band, but I was playing shredding, you know, like like piano, jazz stuff and all that stuff. I never became like this killer jazz player, but I love the influences, you know. So I think one reason I ended up in L.A. after that and then Switzerland for seven years and now Nashville for 19 years. But my style is not so much Georgia red dirt clay. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I write songs for has written songs for Carrie Underwood, Willie Nelson, Old Dominion, Enrique Iglesias. Chris Brown. You know, Chris Brown. Chris <laughs> Brown. Um, just crazy. But I love that because every day is like a different story, you know. Um, and that's what I love about it. I love piano players. I love playing. I love it all, man. I love it all. I think that's contributed to my versatility here. So that's when you went answer. to um, um, L.A., did you go as a musician first and, and songwriting was something you, you dabbled in? Yeah, when I what happened was when I was nineteen, when I was twenty twenty one, I was in my final year at University of Miami, and I I had a band, and I was and somebody asked us during the Christmas break, do you want to go to Atlanta, Georgia, and play at this club up there? And I'm like Atlanta, and all I knew about Atlanta was I said, oh, you know, peaches, you know, Georgia peaches, the girls, you know. So I was twenty years old, so I sat down one day, wrote this song called "All I Want from Santa Is a Girl from Atlanta." So I ended up going to Atlanta. Yeah, I'm at all all I want from Santa is a girl from Atlanta. Christmas cheer is almost here. And I'm making my list. Santa better hear me cause I'm dreaming of you. Georgia and your sweet eyes of blue. Break out the butter and break out the rum. We're gonna party you down till the morning comes. being a college senior, no money, ending in, in Atlanta for two weeks, shivering in the cold, but boy, the ladies are beautiful. And shout out to anybody listening from Georgia, they're beautiful women. <laughs> and we, we recorded that song. And the next day we went from riding around a beat up to being in a limousine. It got on 96 rock at the time. And we were in a limousine wow. driving around. Um, it was with all the Atlanta Falcon cheerleaders shooting a video. <laughs> and any of your listeners can go on YouTube 
and look up All I Want From Santa, James Slater, and you'll see this crazy video we made. So we were, it was incredible to be 21 men. <laughs> so when that, when, when Christmas was over, unfortunately, you know, Christmas songs are kind of done. I stayed in Atlanta for a while. Anyway, I got started getting calls from publishers. that said, you should come to LA because you're versatile. I never even thought about going to Nashville. For some reason, I wasn't into country music. I was four hours away, but I never went. So then I went out to LA as a musician who'd had this kind of regional hit. And I just wanted to write songs. So I was trying to write songs in L.A. I got a job at Carol O'Connor's piano. I mean, he's Archie Bunker. Which, the time. Yeah, by the way, that how, how did that happen? Did you actually, like, work with Archie Bunker? Yeah, he was my boss. He owned, after All in the Family, after his, he had a show called In the Heat of the Night. Uh-huh. And he owned a very beautiful restaurant in Beverly Hills called Carol O'Connor's Place. Uh-huh. And um, I went in there one day, they had a piano in the corner. I needed to make money. You know, I just moved out there out of college, you know. Um, I needed to make money and I played piano standard songs for him. I was the, I was a house piano player. Uh, one day I walked in and he said, man, you're not going to want to know the songs I want to hear. But I had learned how to play solo piano because a lot of bands I knew break up. And at University of Miami, I got enough so I could play four hours on the piano, anything you want to hear. Wow. You know, so I met Carol O'Connor and for four years, three years, I was his house pianist five days a week, a hundred dollars a night and all the great food in Beverly Hills. And during the day I'd write and write songs, try to write songs, you know? Yeah. So you're, you're, you're playing piano in Carol O'Connor's bar. How many times did hammered people ask you to play? Those were the days. All the time. Boy, the way Glenn Miller played. Songs that made the hit parade. Guys like us, we had it made. Those were the days. And you do when you were there. Dance for girls and men, woman. Mr. We could use a man like Herbert Hoover again. Those were the days. But you know what happened? The funniest thing is the first night I thought I'd play that song. And as he walked out, he always would have dinner in the corner. As he, I thought, I'll play that song. It'll be great. He walked out and he leaned over to me. First night there, he goes, Jimmy, call me Jimmy. He's the only guy except my baseball coach in high school. Called me Jimmy. He goes, Jimmy, you were fabulous tonight. It's your first night. But I never want to hear that song again. <laughs> <laughs> he never wanted to hear it again. Yeah, it was great learning experience. California was amazing at the time. Um, had a lot of great experiences. Then about four years later, I went to I went on tour with a friend of mine who was uh, playing with Tower of Power. He went on tour with Huey Lewis and the News, and they went to Europe with Bruce Hornsby opening up. Huey Lewis and the News on a European tour, and I went to tag along. And once I did that and saw Europe, I was like, I have to live here. Mm -hmm. So a few months later, I sent an audition tape to a bar in Switzerland, and I moved to Zurich, Switzerland, for seven years. And then you hooked up with like a, a major band in, in Europe. I forget the name off the top of my head, but, but you ended up becoming like their piano player and wrote one of their biggest hits. Yeah. yeah. When I was in Switzerland, I wrote a song. I, I was playing piano bar in Zurich, loving Europe. And uh, I, I wrote a song called, uh, called uh, I, I met a band called Vaya Con Dios, very famous band from Europe. Not so well known in the States, but huge. We, and then we went, I met them, got in their band, played keyboards and sang in their band with them. They were already big. And I went to Africa on a big tour of Europe, and I wrote one of their big songs over there. Um, God, don't, don't break my heart. Sometimes I feel so empty, so deserted and so lonely. And no one can take that pain away. Don't break my heart. 
Should you love me? Would you love them just to say? In fact, they came to, to so Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and she wanted to make an album in Muscle Shoals where Rod Stewart, Aretha Franklin recorded and everything. I'm like, yeah, I'll go to Muscle Shoals and do a song. So we fly over, go to Muscle Shoals, and that's when I first came to Nashville. I went, wow, if I ever move back to the States, this might be the place for me to go Nashville. Uh-huh. He had gone from being country to a little more popish, you uh-huh. know? Uh-huh. And I thought, I like the idea that you can sit at the piano and play a song and get it cut, you know? Whereas LA was at that time becoming more uh, producer based, you know, yeah. production based, which yeah. it is now a lot. You know, I love Nashville because you can play a song on the piano and look, the, the new song on Kenny Chesney's new album, Guy's Name Captain, mm-hmm. you know, is one of my favorites I've heard. That was written 100% by me it's on Kenny's new record. Funny. And in my daughter's eyes, the first song I got recorded here, uh, my daughter's eyes was a song written just on piano too. So I love Nashville. In Nashville, the song is still the thing. It definitely is. I mean, I love this town because there's such a history here. And, you know, with production and everything, with computers and everything, you know, it's, it's gotten a little crazy. But I swear, lyric and melody and music is, is lyric, lyric and, and, and uh, melody. And you got to have a song, you know. We spend a lot of time at each other's houses just playing songs, jamming acoustically. It's about the song. It all starts with a song. It's a cliche because it's true. So I want to take a couple of steps back because you're obviously a, an extremely accomplished musician, and yet you had this need, you, you, I assume it's a need, uh, to, to write. I mean, was it that innate, I need to express myself verbally in writing as well? Or was it more like, I need to make some money, this is another way to do it? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's wild. Here's the deal. At 15, when I got in a band and started playing piano, I, I wanted to quit the piano at like 14, like most kids do, boys do. You know, I, was, I, was, I wanted to do baseball and this and that in Panama. So I wanted to quit the piano, but my mother wouldn't let me. She's like, no, one day you're going to thank me. And one thing I noticed, noticed is I didn't want to spend hours doing classical music. You know, these songs that everybody plays. Classical music is amazing, but I could not sit down at the piano at 14, 15 without trying to write my own songs. You know, I, I always start. So I think it was just an innate thing. Everybody's born with something they do or they've got a passion. Mine was, I, I wasn't supposed to be a classical pianist or jazz pianist. I was supposed to write songs. I could not sit down at the piano without trying to write songs. So I just was always writing songs. One uh, thing I saw in an interview is that, that you love to read. You are, you're, you're, yeah. you're a student of the written word. Um, and so that tells me that it, yeah. it's, it's more innate and it's because you got to express yourself than it is. You got to make a buck. You know, absolutely. Look, the money, if anybody out there says they got in it for the money, I don't know. Uh, I think, you know, you know, I would have probably done something else. If you become an architect or a doctor, all, all wonderful professions, mm-hmm. if you're looking for the money and security. But in music is, I was just, you know, I, I couldn't, I just in my blood, man, I'll live and die by the song. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. Um, I just enjoy writing and sitting at the piano and playing. And to this day, now I live in Nashville and, well, I'll tell you, it's just an, as you, you, you interviewed a lot of songwriters and a lot of my friends, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just nothing like this town. The songs are in the air. It's constantly, 
you're constantly looking for the great. Even when you've written a song, even when you've been to the Grammys a couple of times, I've mm-hmm. been fortunate to be there a couple of times and you just cannot help sitting down and going, well, what's the next, what's the next song. And that comes from this reading Hemingway, F Scott Fitzgerald, the classics, you know, and I, I like reading anything and, and, and everything. Uh, there's nothing like the power of the written word to me, you yeah. know, it displays you, you know. Another thing that I read that you said in an interview that I loved was don't be afraid to be curious. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Well, I think my dad was a psychiatrist for many, many years. And a psychiatrist by, by nature has to be curious with his patients. You ask questions, you dig deep and see what's, what makes them tick, you know, why they do what they do. So I think we inherit these traits from our parents. And my dad was endlessly, he died at 94 years ago miss him to this day. That's the song guys named captain. Uh, I wrote that about him, but he was always really curious and he always would tell me, never lose your curiosity. You know, um, what did my mom say too? She goes, an interesting person is an interested person. You know what I mean? I love that. You know, you've yeah. met, it's beautiful. Yeah. And you know, with what you do, you know, you're interviewing, you know, you meet somebody and you know, the kind of person you meet and all they do is talk about themselves. And it's so beautiful when you sit with somebody, somebody asks a question about yourself, you know, or, or this or that, you know? So, I think curiosity is something hopefully we'll have. That's how you learn. You know, I'm open. I'm, I'm, I'm open. My heart's open to, to the guy sitting on a bar school stool in the dive bar to a guy that's an executive that works for IBM, whatever. I'm, I'm endlessly curious. You know, that's where the stories are. At the end of the day, what you do is, is all about making a connection with one person. It really is. It's not about selling it. When you're a songwriter, right. everybody that I've talked to is just, they're writing something that they hope connects with somebody. And the song that you just talked about mm-hmm. uh, that you wrote about your dad, mm-hmm. that's the last track on uh, Kenny Chesney's uh, new album strikes a huge chord with me because I, I grew up fishing with my dad. My dad, mm. he wasn't a captain, but yeah. you know, we spent our whole lives. I've spent my whole life around boats and water. I, I had to listen to that. Mm-hmm. I had to go back and listen to that one like two or three times immediately because it just, Whoa, Hey, yeah. somebody knows me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that guy's name. Captain. Oh, Always characters living by the water Somewhere in the Americas South or Central or some virgin island Barefoot and sun-kissed Always smiling Guys named Captain aren't haters They're lovers living life long Largely undercover Dive bars and cocktails Waitresses and tall tales Chasing the sun Run aground to full sail Like Captain Outrageous And Captain Tony A painter and a sailor Okie West cronies Floating on the breeze The salt of the sea Henri Tattooed and laughing Guys named Captain Well, you know, that was written for my dad Like you, you know, I, I mean, I I grew up near the ocean, you know, all the time I was near, uh, you know, the Panama Where you have the Atlantic and the, and the Pacific Ocean Only 50 miles apart so He's always had a sailboat, so we're always at the docks And if you hang around the water There are characters, I love Key West mm-hmm. You know, Key West is a huge, it's like my second home I love going to Key West because those characters down there, it's the end of the line. It's the farthest south you can go. And those characters that hang around the water, 
Captain Outrageous is a painter that's mentioned in that song. Yeah. And I wrote that about him. And then Captain Tony is once the mayor, kind of a real Lothario, a real character. He passed away not too long ago. I wrote that about him. And it wasn't really even written for Kenny. It just, it just, it's, it's, it's the life he's lived too. You know, it's, it really struck a chord with him. And you, anybody that's been around water and, and meets those characters and loves those Hemingway type characters, man, it's, it's so much fun. Guys named Captain have sons and daughters, flesh and blood, like my father, Captain Vic, who played the mandolin. And when they're gone, man, you miss them. Guy's name, Captain. Guy's name, Captain. If people can hear me singing the song about Guy's name, Captain, on Sirius Radio on his No Shoes Nation, uh, No Shoes channel, we do a duet on it when we think. And I remember him saying on that, he goes, man, I was when I heard a guy's name Captain he goes. I was jealous of that song. So for a songwriter to hear that Kenny, because we spend so much of our time thinking about Kenny, he goes, I'm jealous, man. He's flying on his jet to here, and he's playing sick. You know, he's, he's, he lives in the dream. Yeah. Beautiful. He's, he deserves every minute. So I'll never forget him saying, "I was jealous of you." And I was just thinking, and J.P. Harding will love this because he loves this story. Once I met Cindy Crawford in Cindy Crawford in Switzerland, and she asked me to teach her piano. And the only time that felt better than somebody saying that, that than Kenny Chesney saying, "I'm jealous." is when Cindy Crawford said to me in Zurich, Switzerland years ago, she goes, can I give you my phone number? <laughs> you know, that, <laughs> and I went, yeah, I'll take your phone number. And, and that's a whole other story, Tom. I met her in Switzerland and she was learning to play the piano and I met her and I, uh, you know, her and Arnold Schwarzenegger in a bar over there. Uh, and she asked me if I would move to, if I would come to California and teach her how to play piano. I'll never forget that. It was awesome. That and JP fantastic. loves that story. Oh God, I yeah. love that story. Um, yeah. Another thing that I wanted to ask you about: you, you, you do have you know a relationship with uh, some big artists, but talk about you wanted to get Keith Urban to cut something. And before we get into some of your your huge country hits, um, I want to talk. Like you mentioned Key West. You've got a really fun song that I think is the official song of Key West. Key West Address. Yeah. yeah. Talk a yeah. little bit about that. So um, that song, I've been going, they've got the Key West Songwriter Festival, which happens every year. And some of your listeners, if they've never been down there, it happens every May. It didn't happen last year, of course. Everything was shut down. But I think it's happening this year, May you know, 3rd, 4th, Old Dominion's playing down there on the 5th or 6th. And then it's for about four or five days, they're doing uh, the Key West Songwriter Festival. Probably a smaller version. But if any of your listeners ever get down there, it's incredible. All A lot of songwriters converge on there from Key West. And it's a, it's a, an amazing, you know, five days of all the bars are filled with all these guys singing songs that, they, that you've heard on the radio. And so I started going down there when I moved to Nashville. I moved here in 2002 from Europe. After 9-11 happened, I thought, I got to be closer to my, my family who's in Florida. And I got to, if I'm ever going to get to the Grammys, I was living in Europe about to marry this girl. And I just, I just had this epiphany that I needed to move back to the States after 9-11. So I moved to Nashville. And uh, once I got here, I learned about the Songwriter Festival. I started going down. Every year I would go down there. And, man, that's my jam. It's, 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 it's close to South America, Mexico. Uh-huh. And I just found my, my piece there. That place understood me. And I wrote a song for the island called 
Key West address. And then the mayor heard it and proclaimed it. I have a proclamation here, to, you know, theme song of Key West. <laughs> Down on the corner of Angela and Duval, there are hustlers and buccaneers. The sound of music is in the air from the street side balladeers. Calypso poets pay their rent, so be generous with the oak tip jar. While up the road, millionaires buy up homes with 10 by 12 foot yards. Me, I keep things simple. I don't make a ripple. Give me a Key West address, a tattooed waitress, and a fish that's bigger than the hole in my net. A good bottle of rum, a fine Cuban cigar, life will take care of the rest. Give me a Key West address. Man, it's been, and then you know, I mean, that that island. If you've never been there, or if your friend, if your people haven't been there, get down there. It's, Hemingway lived there. Um, Tennessee Williams, Jimmy Buffett, obviously made a career out of, of the great, great songs he wrote there. It's an amazing, eclectic beach, literary, crazy dive bar place that I find a lot of inspiration. So yeah, I have the theme song and I. I play it all the time. Yeah, I would uh, yeah. recommend anybody go to YouTube and check out the video because it's absolutely yeah. wacko in the best <laughs> best way possible. Is it? Do you have kind of a niche in Nashville because you you write on piano? Most people write on on yeah. guitar. Does that give you kind of a I don't know an inside edge? I feel it does. You know, I think you know. Um, obviously, a lot of those songs are guitar driven. You know, six string. You know, three chords in the truth songs. But man, I came here and. My heroes, you know, Ray Charles, Ronnie Millsap, Jerry Lee Lewis, Elton John, Billy Joel. You stick, you do what you do best, you know. And Phil Bassler is a friend of mine and an awesome man. I just love him. And he's one of the guys that when I heard his music, I thought, I can move to Nashville. It doesn't, it's country, but it's not like, it's not like Hank Williams country, which is fantastic. But that's just not me so much. Mm -hmm. So when I moved here, I, I started, met Phil and emulated kind of what he did. And then I met a guy named Tom Douglas. Mm -hmm. Tom Douglas wrote House That Built Me. He's the guy that writes on piano, too. So there's only two or three, four Chris Tompkins. I mean, you know, but I think it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful change. Like, I'll do rounds here, you know, three or four guitars and then me on piano. And people, that's why I get to do a lot of shows. I do a lot of corporate events, but I do it Leon Russell style on piano. I think it gives me a different, a different color here in town. And I love it. You know, and Nashville's become more cosmopolitan. So where it used to be guitar, I mean, it's just, it's more cosmopolitan now. Anything goes, you know, you've got rap influences coming in. You got pop influences coming in. You got people moving here from New York, California. And so it's all a real big melting pot and it's beautiful to see the stuff that comes out of here. But still what I hold true to is, you know, sitting at the piano and, and writing a great song, you know, I mean, and in Keith Urban, the new Keith Urban song I just had to hit, you know, was getting done on the piano, you know, just, when God your name, that's where everything changed. Just piano, you know? And if you can translate that with production to a hit, that's the beauty of this town, man. I was so cold and lost, and nothing seemed to reign true. I couldn't bear the cross for everything I've been through. And each day, I knew I needed change. There was no way, no way. Then God whispered your name, and that 
Unstoppable for Rascal Flats in my daughter's eyes. Yeah, uh, God whispered your name. They're really positive, uplifting songs, you know. And mm-hmm. you wrote your other Grammy nomination was for Jamie Johnson, uh, "High Cost of Living," <laughs> yeah. and yeah. that song is one of the most brutally honest country mm-hmm. songs. I mean, the right. lyrics of that are just <laughs> there's there's absolutely no fluff to that song. It's raw. No, yeah. So was that um, was that more Jamie or is that more you kind of following his lead? I, I get the feeling that he's more that than you are, but I don't know. Well, Tom, that's a great, great you know question because here's what happened with that one. I wrote in my daughter's eyes. I don't have a daughter, you know. I, I wrote that for my brother who had a daughter years ago when I first moved to Nashville, and that became a big hit for me. I wrote that 100 percent. Of all the writers on your show, there's, there's really there's a co-writing town, right? And so it's really. Once you get here, it's hard to go back and write 100% songs. But for some reason, I've had some really good, you know, in my daughter's eyes, that's why God made Mexico for Tim McGraw, um, nothing but a Sentan for Mark Wills, and now Guys Named Captain for Kenny Chesney many years later. But what happened was, is after I had the success when I got here of In My Daughter's Eyes, I had that title, High Cost of Living, in my pocket, you know. And I've got tapes I could play you of me trying to, High Cost of Living, I didn't. You know, it ain't like the cost of living. I had that title for two years trying to write that song alone. All of a sudden, my publisher sets me up with this Marine that I actually met in Key West, this hard living, drinking from Montgomery Marine. But that's the beauty of this town. We got set up to co-write. And I thought, what am I going to write with this guy? What do we have in common? You know, I'm more, it's just, he's a different whole thing. Other thing from Alabama. I've been around the world and we're, you know, but that's the beautiful thing, man. You never close your heart because we started talking. I said, I got this one thing, high cost of living. And I'll never forget, you know, even my girlfriend at the time said, who was that guy, man? He seems kind of dangerous because <laughs> Jamie's a trip. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember he left the house and she goes, who is that guy? He's got some, he's kind of, and I said, no, he's, you know, he's just Marine, good singer, you know. So we work on that song for about three days and I'll never forget the day Jamie came over. It was both of us. It, it sounds, obviously, I needed that viewpoint. I couldn't write that one 100%. That, I needed Jamie, man. He had lived a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of melded everything together. And he said, man, I'm doing an album. And he didn't have a record deal at the time. He'd had a couple of hits, I think, on George Strait and some other few Trace Adkins. But he was doing a record. He said, I'm going to put this as my first song on the album. I was just a normal guy. Life was just a nine to five with bills and pressure piled up to the sky. She never asked. She knew I'd been. Hanging with my wilder friend Looking for some other way to fly And three days straight was no big feat To get by on no food or sleep And crazy was becoming my new norm I'd pass out on the bedroom floor Sleep right through the calm before the storm My life was just an old routine Every day the same damn thing I couldn't even tell I was alive I tell you, the high cost of living ain't 
nothing like the cost of living high. But I'll tell you the funny thing is he, he came over and he goes, man, I got a little bit of this third verse. I don't think we're not going to get a single on this and you, you might not like it. He goes, you know, I traded my wife for cocaine and a whore. Uh-huh. Remember that line, the yeah, third verse? Yeah. And I remember, you know, I'm always about the song. I'm like, no, man, let's not change that. That's, that's awesome, man. I mean, let's just, I'm not trying to get on the radio with this song. Let's just write the greatest, most honest song you can. That's what you want to do. So anyway, fast forward. He records the song. He literally pulls up in a Cadillac in Key West a year later and goes, I want you to hear a high cost of living. I'm like, great, let's listen. I get in the back. He's got a bunch of girls and that thing. We drove around Key West. And he plays the, the, the jail thing in the beginning. And if, if they, I'll be damned if fast forwarding. It comes out on the radio after In Color was a massive hit. Mm-hmm. Great song, In Color. High cost of living. He goes, it's going to be the next single. It got to about 35, but... He, the radio stations were calling him. He told me, he goes, man, they want me to change, to edit out the last verse. And then he said, I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it didn't go that high on the charts. But then at Christmas, we get a call and we get a Grammy nomination for Country Song of the Year. Because it was so brutally honest. I mean, yeah. people want to hear the damn truth, you know, instead of, you know, a lot of times we have to edit some stuff for country radio, which is cool. But sometimes you just want the brutal truth, you know. My whole life went through my head. Laying in that motel bed, watching as the cops kicked in the door. I had a job and a piece of land. My sweet wife was my best friend, but I traded that for cocaine and a whore. With my newfound sobriety, I've got the time to sit and think of all the things I had and threw away. This prison is much colder than that one that I was locked up in just yesterday. My life is just an old routine. Every day the same damn thing. Hell, I can't even tell if I'm alive. I tell you, I cost a living. Ain't nothing like the cost of living high. I tell you, the high cost of living, it ain't nothing like the cost of living high. But when I perform it, it's more of a honky-tonk. You know? Yeah, let's hear your version. I was just a normal guy. Life was just nine to five with bills and pressure piled up to the sky. She never asked, she knew I'd been hanging with my wilder friends. Looking for some other way to fly. Chorus. <laughs> Said the high cost of living. Ain't nothing like the cost of living high. <laughs> that's the groove I do with that. It's a Leon Russell yeah, thing, yeah, you know. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you, you have know, had... Uh, I love the banger on the piano. You mentioned Mexicoma. I think one of your... Oh, okay. <laughs> let's, yeah, let's dive into the, my morning show partner, Pat. I've been doing the morning show for 28 years. I have never uh-huh. quite seen him get jacked up over a song as he was when he first heard Mexicoma. He was like, just, he wanted that song to be a single so bad. I thought he was going to like call oh, the record man. label himself. He loved that song and it is, and still loves it. So when I told him that I was talking to you, he's like, oh man, that's so cool. And like, I've talked to 28 songwriters and he doesn't care. <laughs> but I love it. When he found out that I was talking to you, he's like, you got to ask him at the end of the song. Is that an accordion right. or a harmonica? <laughs> <laughs> 
I love that. Well, I will tell you, I mean, Mexicoma, what would you think it would be? It would be an accordion. I think because, it's an accordion because I saw the, the Key West address and you were playing an accordion. Yeah. Now, the thing is, I didn't play that, but here's the deal. We've got a street here named Nolansville Road. It's where all the Latinos live in town. You know, every town's got their 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 neighborhood where all the Latins are, the best Mexican restaurants. And I'm part Latin, Bolivia, you know, so I go over there a lot. And I remember a guy in a music store there told me, he goes, man, do you know who the rock stars are in the Mexican bands? Not the guitar player like Bon Jovi, Richie Sambora. No, it's not Angus Young like in ACDC. <laughs> the rock stars in the Mexican bands are the accordion players. They're the dudes that are out front going, you know. So anyway, I wrote that song Mexicoma. Um, and um, when we did the demo, we, I got this guy, Mike Rojas, incredible piano player, but incredible also accordion player to come in. And I said, let's put accordion on this. And I basically wrote that song with the Warren brothers mm-hmm. and um, we did a, 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 a guitar demo of it to send to Tim McGraw. Cause I was sure it was a Tim McGraw song, man. And he kind of sent it back. Oh, this isn't really me. So mm. I was, I went back in the studio and, and uh, I said, I want to do this song kind of like Billy Joel or Ben folds would do it, man. Just rock the piano and do it like I would want to do it and put some accordion on everything. So we did accordion. So when Byron Gallimore, a good friend, producer of Tim McGraw, called and said, Tim flipped out over this song. <laughs> Who played the accordion? I said, Mike Rojas, you got to get Mike. So he called Mike. So Mike played on the demo and then Mike played on the actual recording. And so that's accordion all over that. And that is one of my favorite. That's every show I play. I open up with that song because it's so much damn fun, uh-huh. you know. And Tim McGraw told me I hated it wasn't a single. He goes, he said, James. Here's your concert. I don't think we're going to get to get, get the single of the song, although we should. I don't know, but timing, blah, 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 this, this. But he said, your Constellation Prize is every show I do for the rest of my life, I'm performing this in concert. So, <laughs> man, if I, I'd love to. Someday if I ever play a show out there, you need to get us out there, we'll do it. But it's so much. I'm sitting here stoned. A tortilla joes. Nobody knows my name, but that's all right with me. It's so much fun. She said adios. So I said hello. Don Julio, top shelf, self-help remedy. Tell your, tell your cohort. A great taste. And thank you, accordion. I absolutely will. Uh, Tim has recorded a lot of your songs. Kenny has recorded oh. uh, quite a few of your songs. Yeah. Um, do you, like, target them, or do they just know that you write songs that they're going to be able to relate to? Or is it a little bit of both? It's, uh, it's a combination of the two things. You know, I think, you know, Tim McGraw, from the beginning, from Reef, what he had, that hit, refried beans, or he... He'd always, you know, these guys love a little of the George Strait, you know, Marina Del Rey. These guys love a little of the south of the border. They've mm-hmm. always have. It's always been like that. Yep. And, 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 and something about the, the romanticism of Mexico. Everybody, you know, everybody from Kenny Chesney to beer in Mexico 
So Tim McGraw has recorded two of my songs. That's why Dave Mexico and Mexicoma. So I think you develop relationships with people who you have kind of, your life has been kind of like that. Kenny Chesney, man, he loves the water. You know, he, 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 so you end up, when I go in a room, I don't write for them, but sometimes you have them in mind. And if you know they're cutting an album soon, of course you'll get with your other good writers and you'll kind of go, let's gear this towards something, you know, Kenny or Tim or somebody like that would do at the same token. The best songs are not the ones you do that with. It's just, you write them from your heart. Yeah. It, it, is, it, is it ever frustrating to you? And I know we, we don't have much time left, so we'll, we'll wrap it up. But is it ever frustrating to you to have a song? It, it, and it's not like the old days where you had CDs and before that cassettes and albums that, you know, you, you would mm-hmm. have an album cut. And, and it, you, there are still some artists where you can get an album cut, like, you know, yeah. Kenny Chesney's album. But that's not the norm anymore. Is it frustrating to you? Because maybe you have a song that you just know is like, yeah, this this is a great song, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't it doesn't get picked up. It, how do you deal yeah. with that? So so here's the thing. That's a great question. I mean, when I first moved here in 2002, you know, I, I kind of envy the guys that were here before me. I wish I was here tonight when you could mm-hmm. get a song Garth Brooks album and sold 15 or Shania Twain. Well, Mutt Lang did Shania, but say Garth Brooks or those character Underwood or, or McGraw, where they sold five, six, seven, eight million. And whether you had a single or not, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whether you had a single or not, you're going to make money. You could feed your family. You could put rice and beans on the table. You know, I got here and, you know, in 2002, thank God. And I got two songs on specifically Tim McGraw's Live Like You're Dying album. I didn't have the single, but I wrote um, We Carry On with Tom Douglas and um, da, 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 what is it? Uh, Open Season on My Heart. They were on that album. I have a plaque on my wall right here. Four million albums sold. Mm-hmm. I got nice checks because you sold four million records with songs. It was great, you know? And the other thing, and so it's changed now. On the other hand, you know, Morgan Wallen just put out a double album. I love that he did that, put out a double album. So those songwriters, and it's selling. Those songwriters will make some money on that, you know? Um, I do miss the days. Here's my last thing I'll tell you. I miss, you know, classic records. Your my favorite song that gives me goosebumps, that makes me think of my mom, or that makes me want to dance, or makes me want to have sex. You know what I'm saying? My favorite songs are not always the obvious hits off the album. It might be track eight right. on an album yes. on a classic yes. record. So, you know what I mean? I yep. want those songs to still be around for mm-hmm. me, for my kids, mm-hmm. for you. But if we only go for writing singles, man, that's not, that's not, you know. So I hope, and I still do believe, and there is a place, Guys and Captains, for instance, where I don't, that's not going to be a single, but you know what? A lot of people are going to hear it, are going to be touched by it. One way or another, you're going to survive, you know, but you need those songs, man. You need those songs. What, what song are you most proud of having written? <laughs> I tell you, I'll just name, I couldn't name one. I would say Guy's Name Captain was from the heart. I'm so happy with that song. In My Daughter's Eyes, I've seen how that touches people. In my daughter's eyes, I I am strong and wise, and I know no fear, but the truth is plain to see, she was sent to rescue me, I see who I want to be in my daughter's eyes. Uh, There's so many, there's a new song, there's a song on Reba's new album called The Clown, which is incredible. I wrote that with Hillary Lindsay and, Tom, and Dallas Davidson. After a 
J.T. Yeah. Harding set this interview up, and he said, you are going to love James, and he could not have <laughs> been more right. You have been a fantastic guest, and I cannot thank, thank you. you enough. I guess I'm just expounding because I enjoy what I do, and I want your listeners to know it's a lot of work, but you get paid in a lot of different ways. You know, It's, it's amazing yeah. what can happen if you're curious. If you're curious, yeah. That's a lot of wisdom right there. If you're curious, you never know what can happen. Ask a question or two, man. I'm sitting here stone. A tortilla Joe's. And nobody knows my name. And that's all right with me. She said adios. So I said hello. Don Julio. Top shelf. Self-help remedy. That'll do it for this month's episode of Write You a Song. Thanks again to James T. Slater. And don't forget, coming up, a little extra with James and the time a rock and roll legend surprised him at his home. And if you like the podcast, please share it with others and on social media. Give it a rating if you can. Every little bit helps. And next month, she's married to one of Nashville's most prolific songwriters, but that hasn't stopped her from penning a few hits of her own. When I taste tequila, make a nigga man feel rich on minimum wage. Nicole Gallion, next time on Write You a Song.
I, I got to tell you with one before we end, I know we got to end, but there's so many great stories, but for you who obviously is a classic rock, about my age, classic rock guy. And this is, you're talking about paying off money. Sometimes it's not about money. You know how they say a forest ranger is sometimes paid in sunset. You know what I mean? Yeah, it might not yeah, be obvious. Yeah. You know, you, you know, no matter what kind of money you make, you know, you're obviously doing what you love. You know, mm-hmm. I can tell you're, a, you're really into music. So years ago when Robert Plant was here with Alison Krauss doing that Raising Sand album, yeah. you know, Led Zeppelin is like my, wow. You know, one, I think the greatest rock band ever was. I don't know. I just feel, you know, so my, I bought this house. I'd made some money. Some money I bought this house over about 10 miles from here and had a tennis court and stuff. And I'd moved in, just moved in. And my realtor at the time, called me one day and Bon Jovi was in town at that time too, starting to do his, his record with uh, the girl from Sugarland. You know, yeah, Jennifer. Jennifer Nettles. Yeah. 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 And so she, he called me, my realtor called me goes, Hey man, do you want to rent your, before you move in, do you want to rent your, your, your house to a rock star? And I'm like, who is it? She goes, I'm not going to tell you. And I thought, well, it's probably John Bon Jovi. I've met him once or, or somebody like that. And I said, yeah, we'll tell him to come over and check it out. If they want to rent it. Yeah. I haven't really moved in yet. So I'm not kidding, Tom. I'm sitting there. She wouldn't tell me who it was. And I'm sitting there at my house, half furniture's in there. And all of a sudden this little black, this black SUV pulls up and this girl gets out. And who gets out of the car? No idea. Robert Plant. <laughs> now in my car at the same, yeah, I'm like, sorry, I'm cursing. But I was like, you know, and I've, I lived in LA for five years. I met Guns N' Roses, Jack Nichols. You know, you live in LA, you bump in all these people at the coffee shops, whatever. I've been around the world, you know, lived in Switzerland for seven years. But holy crap, there's Robert Plant walking up the stage of my house. I'm like, I don't believe it. So he came in the house and we spent about an hour. He looked around the house and everything. We spent about, he loved it. And he's like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about mixing my record here. And, and I want to live in a house. I don't want to live in a condo. I just want to, so I said, well, you can have this place for six months, whatever. But we talked about John Bonham and how he said, yeah, you know, I know I have my solo project and Jimmy has his stuff and everything, but nothing will ever be Led Zeppelin without John Bonham. And I know yeah, that, you know, yeah. even though his son's incredible, yeah, you know, yeah. And I ended up, uh, you know, ended up talking with him for an hour. I didn't get a picture. Damn it. I wish I had, you know, what? I, just, I wish <laughs> I didn't want to be that guy, but I've learned, I've learned that you put your pride aside, man. And you just go, I need a picture with you or my mother's going to be pissed off or whatever. You Robert know, my, Plant you know, was like, at your freaking house. Yeah. For an hour. He didn't end up, he ended up mixing the thing in LA apparently or something, but it was great. It was awesome. And then another, another thing was I had seen Aerosmith in Europe months, uh, a year or two before in, in a 60,000 feet place in Europe. And then a couple of years later here, just telling you a story, quick national, because they called me and said, do you want to write with Steven Tyler? I'm like, holy crap. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So I'll never forget the day Steven Tyler came over. My publisher's was like, he's not coming over here. I said, yeah. Came over Jeffrey Steele, myself, Steven Tyler and Marty Fredericks ended up writing and just hanging out with him. I've never been in a room when a guy walks in the room and you go, oh, this guy's a rock star. Steven Tyler, painted fingernails, long hair. Just, yeah, what's happening, Steve? Let's go, man. And you're like, oh, my God, this is great. 